So today is the last Sunday before Advent. Today is the last Sunday before we start our Advent season, um, which seems kind of funny because since, well, since Halloween, uh, the Christmas decorations have been out and up in stores. Uh, I'll be honest, I don't listen to the radio, which is great because I haven't been bombarded with Christmas music yet, so it's been good. Um, but today is the last Sunday before we really kick off that Advent season. Uh, in some traditions, today is called Stir Up Sunday because um, it's stirring up the anticipation waiting for Jesus. In, in some traditions, we call it Christ the King Sunday. Uh, in some too, or it's referred as the Sunday next before Advent, which sounds a bit like I feel like Yoda when I'm saying that. Uh, and in some traditions, it's just simply Sunday. It's just another Sunday. And so next week, we start the Advent season. And if you've grown up in the church, you're probably fairly familiar with what the Advent season encompasses. Uh, if you've grown up in a mainstream church, then you're, you're definitely familiar with the Advent season and what it comes or what it includes. But if you're not from a church background, your familiarity with Advent might simply be uh, the chocolate calendars that you pick up. Um, it may be those chocolate advent calendars, and you know you can get the ones that are about $1.50, and you get about a penny's size worth of chocolate, or you can get the really nice ones for $30 or $40 that have the big chocolates in them. So, so first, fair question though, who gets an advent, like a chocolate advent calendar or other food type if it's not chocolate? If you get an advent calendar, could see your hands up? Only a few of us? Okay. Now, Keep your hand up if you get an advent calendar and you're the type of person who is able to resist the temptation to eat more than one on a day. Okay, everyone but me, so good. Uh, I get it, and I'm usually pretty good the first day, and then by day two, uh, usually December 3rd to 5th is gone, and so you have, you have a few days of waiting before you're allowed to have uh, advent chocolates again. But I mean, advent is... Uh, the sea, besides the season of Advent reminding us of chocolate calendars, what else is Advent? What else does Advent mean? If I could sum it up in one sentence, I would borrow from another pastor and I would say, Advent is a season celebrated by Christians as a time of waiting for and anticipating the celebration of Jesus' birth as well as his second coming. It's a really way, good way of putting what Advent is a season in. It's a season of waiting for and anticipating the celebration of Jesus' birth and his second coming. So that's a pretty good way of putting what Advent is. But what, about, what else do we know about Advent? Where did it come from? Where did it start? When did it start? Who started it? Why did we as a church decide to celebrate Advent? There's a lot of questions around this season, so we're going to dive into a couple of facts about Advent that perhaps you knew or didn't know before we get too deep. So first, the word itself, Advent. Advent, the word, comes from a Latin word saying Adventus, uh, which is translated from a Greek word, uh, parousia, which means coming or to come or come to. The parousia was, described, uh, was used to describe both Jesus' arrival as a baby but also his future second coming, the one day when he will come back. We don't know exactly when Advent as a season began, but in the Council of Saragossa in 380 AD, so the year 380, we already have discussions about the concept of a season of Advent. 
So 380 years after Jesus, we have this discussion about the concept of picking and choosing a time to celebrate the birth of Jesus and his second coming. Despite what some may want to believe, the concept of these four weeks of celebrating Advent is not actually found anywhere in the Bible. We don't actually find in one of Paul's letters, and you know, when he's writing to the Corinthians, and don't forget in December to celebrate four weeks of Advent. We don't find that anywhere in Scripture. So it's something that the church has instituted, something that this church has instituted into our life, into our seasons, as a season of anticipating and remembering. Advent is celebrating in the church families, but it is also celebrated in the home family. Advent is not just something we do as a church family, but it's something that we're to take back with us. It's something we're to do in our houses with our, with our, our mothers, our fathers, our kids, our brothers, our sisters. We're to celebrate Advent together. Advent is celebrated across many denominations, Baptist, Lutheran, Anglican, Presbyterian, Methodist, and more. They celebrate Advent. So Baptists are not alone in celebrating this season of Advent. Advent starts on different days every year, which is great, because sometimes the first Sunday of Advent ends up in November. Sometimes it ends up in November, but Advent always starts on the fourth Sunday before Christmas. So though it might be a different date, it's the same Sunday every year, the fourth Sunday before Christmas. And Advent actually ends on Christmas Eve, Some people will say it ends Christmas morning, but it actually ends Christmas Eve. I guess in the morning, Christmas starts. So Advent is a funny season in the church. It's it's a very important season in the church, but it it takes a a weird place, and especially in the life of a pastor. Um, The focus of Advent is the same every year. It's not as if in Advent our focus changes from year to year. Whereas in in June or July, Zach and I are free to decide wherever we would like to go with the theme or wherever we would like to go with our sermons for those months. Advent, the theme and the focus is always the same. It's the coming of Jesus as a baby and his coming again in the future. The reality is for pastors, we have to find a way to make this fresh. To not be stale, to not do the same thing every year. And it is something that a lot of pastors struggle with, trying to make the same topic fresh or engaging, trying not to bore people or have them tune out. There are actually entire websites dedicated to helping pastors plan out their Advent season or their yearly Advent series. I can tell you that in the last three weeks, I've received no less than 50 or more emails from different Christian companies, um, the CBOQ being one, or different Christian denominations and organizations trying to sell me on an Advent series booklet or plan your best Advent series preaching skills 101 or how to write the best Advent sermons how to be the best Advent pastor. Entire websites full of tips and tricks and ideas to help pastors and preachers create new and exciting ways of looking at Advent. There are programs pastors can buy into on these websites. There are whole courses online teaching how to create the best Advent series, how to create the best Advent season. Most of these websites recommend that you start planning your Advent series at the minimum three months before the first Sunday, but they recommend anywhere from six to nine months before you should really be preparing for Advent. So they would like in March for us to be preparing the sermons for December. 
They will give you special words that you make sure you use on a Sunday if you want it to be a good Advent sermon, special words that you have to say in prayer if you want it to be a better Advent prayer, special phrases you'd better make sure you use in your Advent series, special things you should make sure you avoid saying in Advent. They will give you visual reminders, visual things that you can put up in your slideshows or in your backgrounds of your hymns or your music. There are ways or there are entire programs dedicated to uh, offering the best sermon outlines and corresponding hymns with visuals guaranteed to make your Advent a success. And that's not a line I wrote. It's a line on a website about Advent. It says it's guaranteed to make your Advent a success. All of this over the season of Advent. When the season of Advent is a success in its own. Advent's a very important season in the church life, and I'm not trying to say it's not important. I'm saying it's very important. But I wonder, why is it important? And are we placing the importance on the right thing, or are we placing the importance of Advent on the wrong thing, perhaps? It's a question of what is Advent really about, and what are we really celebrating? So is Advent really about getting those chocolate calendars from wherever you get in them? And perhaps about the, uh, the newest candy cane latte from Starbucks? If you're familiar with Starbucks, every fall they have the pumpkin spice latte, and every Christmas they come out with a new Christmas-themed latte. Although they wouldn't use the word Christmas-themed anymore. They would use holiday-seasoned-themed latte to try to be inclusive. Is that what Advent is about? Is Advent about making sure that your Christmas lights are up and that your Christmas tree is up? Is it really about pastors coming up with fresh new ways to look at the story of Mary and Joseph and the wise men? Or is Advent something so much simpler, yet something so much more profound? Over the next four weeks, we are going to look at the Christmas story. We're going to look at the foretelling of Jesus' birth and Jesus' birth. We are going to look at the story of the wise men and Herod. We're going to look at Joseph. We're going to look at many of the things that we have heard talked about in our church tradition over the past hundreds of years. Over the next four weeks, while we're doing that, we will also be watching Hallmark Christmas movies at home. We will be drinking hot cocoa. We will be listening to unending Christmas music. It's the time of year where all of a sudden Michael Buble is relevant again. And where Mariah Carey comes out of hibernation. And she's all of a sudden on every radio station. And then about January 1st, they both go back to the cave until next year. Over the next four weeks, our lives will be filled with Christmas shopping. Unless some of you are better planners than I, and in which case you will have already done your Christmas shopping. Indeed, I have my first Christmas party this afternoon. My first family Christmas party is this afternoon. Advent is a season where we will be visiting family We'll be going to work parties. We'll be seeing friends and neighbors. We'll be opening our homes and visiting others' homes. Over the next four weeks, our lives will become very busy. Advent is a very busy season for everyone. But over the next four weeks as a church, we will be doing something else. We'll be intentionally becoming less busy. We'll be doing something so much more important than this busyness of the season. We'll be doing something so much more meaningful than the busyness of the season. We'll be doing something so much more beautiful and something so much more eternal. Over the next four weeks as a church, we will be preparing. We will prepare. 
Over the next four weeks, we'll prepare for the coming of Jesus. We'll be preparing to remember his birth and his life and his sacrifice, as well as his second coming. Advent is a season to prepare. That's what Advent is truly about. Advent is about preparing for Jesus. But preparing is not as simple as it sounds. Preparing takes practice. Preparing takes readiness. And preparing takes waiting. We're going to look at the three of those. So we'll look at practice first. And how you can say preparing takes practice. Well, practice is important for many things. I think no one would disagree with that. We would all say practice is important. Did you know they say it takes 10,000 hours of practice to become an expert on something? 10,000 hours of practicing before you're an expert. If you put that into years, that's about 10 years of practicing before you're an expert. Practicing, you can't find out about how to be an expert by reading a book. You can't find out about how to be an expert by simply listening to a podcast. You can't find out about how being an expert by watching a video. You have to do it. Practice is hands-on. So how much do you, or how much time, do you spend practicing? How much time do you spend practicing preparing for Jesus? Practice is lots of work. And anyone who's ever played a sport or done a hobby or anything can agree that practice is a lot of work. Whoever's played sports knows that practice happens more often than games. You practice more often than you actually play the game. And if you're in the sports context and you're like me, you probably admit practice is not as fun as games. I don't want to pretend I'm playing a game of hockey. I want to play the game of hockey, right? No one would rather practice doing their sport than doing their sport. And the same thing about, say, dance. When you you take dance, you would practice all of these moves before you would ever go to a competition or a recital and do them in front of everyone. And when you're doing the recital, there's so much more weight upon it and there's so much more excitement around it than simply practicing. No one would choose practice over doing the actual thing. No one chooses a dance practice over a dance recital. No one chooses a hockey practice over a hockey game. But the thing is is that you will never become good at the game or good at the main event if you don't put in the hours of practice beforehand. Practice is the key to doing your best. That, that's really what Zach is doing here. Pastor Zach is doing his internship here for school. Pastor Zach is putting in hours practicing. He's putting in hours working. He's putting in hours reading and learning and studying, getting feedback, being mentored, taking criticism and using it. He's practicing and preparing for the day that God is going to use him to lead a church. That's what I do in my supervision time. I'm in a year of supervision to be ordained, and I am practicing with my mentors. I go and I gain the skills and the feedback and the instruction necessary to be better at my calling as a pastor. The Cambridge Qantas Boys Choir, they practice here each and every week. I actually get to hear them sometimes. Sometimes if I wander over in the evening and they happen to be here, I can hear them in my office as they practice. And they wouldn't be as good as they are if they didn't practice. They're here practicing and preparing. See, practice is the key to success. And as we prepare for Jesus, we have to practice preparing. No one in this room is a perfect Christian. None of us are able to live a life of perfection on our own. No new Christian is great at walking this life of faith right off the bat. 
we make mistakes. We stumble and we falter and we learn from them. And we practice. We practice our faith out in real time in our lives each and every day. We practice our faith constantly. Sometimes we practice by reading the Bible. Perhaps we practice by studying the Bible or by going to a Bible study. Perhaps we practice through our constant hours of prayer or our times of worship. The first time that I heard Gregorian chanting as a form of worship, I thought, this is the silliest thing I've ever heard in my life. And now, years later, I listen to Gregorian chanting, and it's some of the most humbling and meaningful moments of worship. And I don't speak Latin. I've got no idea what they're saying. But I am worshiping through it. So we practice out our faiths constantly. Preparing for Jesus takes practice. And are we willing to put in the work? Or do we just want to show up on a Sunday and that be it? Do we just want to show up for one hour on a Sunday and go home? Because I can promise, if you want to get better at loving people, if you want to get better at serving people, about telling your friends and your family, your neighbors about Jesus, about how amazing he is and the grace and the hope that he offers, if you want to get better at those things, it takes practice. But I can also tell you that those hours of practice are worth it. The practice is so worth it when you get to watch one of your family members, one of your family members dedicate their life to Jesus. The practice is worth it. Those thousands of hours you've spent praying for a friend or a coworker are so worth it on the day that they give their life to Jesus. It is so worth all that hard work. Preparing for Jesus also takes readiness. This is one I'm sure many of us struggle with. Have you ever had guests show up at your house and they show up entirely too early? Like, like entirely too early. Perhaps they showed up and you're not even started putting the food in the oven yet. Perhaps they've showed up and you're in the middle of cleaning. Perhaps they've shown up and you're in your nightgown still. That happened to me one time showing up at my grandmother's house. Now, and if you've met my grandmother, she didn't take too kindly to me showing up when she was still in her nightgown. But she just simply wasn't ready yet. She was not ready for me. And this happens. Sometimes in life, we simply aren't ready. And that happens as we prepare for Jesus, too. When we prepare for Jesus, it takes readiness. Sometimes I joke with other pastors or friends of mine, saying, and I feel like if Jesus came back tomorrow... Some of us might say, oh, Jesus, you're too early. Oh, just one or two days early, my friend. We aren't ready for you yet. You know, next week, Jesus, we were just about to do our alpha program. We were, oh, we were just about to get out there and start telling our friends. Or next week, Jesus, I was just going to tell my coworker and my neighbor about you. Or, I, or I, was, I was just about to start praying for my family friend, Jesus. You, you showed up a bit not ready yet. Well, Jesus is coming back, and we know this, and we don't know the time or the hour. And so are we ready? Are we ready if he showed up this afternoon? The key to readiness is, well, it's being ready. The key to readiness is constantly being prepared. The key to readiness is a recognition that Jesus has said he's coming back, and no one knows the day or the hour or the time or the place and so we're to live each and every day as if that day and that hour could be tomorrow. Or that day and that hour could be tonight. And so are we ready like that? Are we preparing like that? 
A few weeks ago, I asked the young adults group if they knew if they knew Jesus was coming back at the end of the month. So in exactly 30 days, if they knew Jesus was coming back, what would they do and what would they stop doing? Would they quit their jobs? Most of them said if they knew Jesus was coming back in 30 days, they'd quit their jobs. They wouldn't, they wouldn't go do that anymore. Some of them said they would go really hard at evangelism and outreach, and they would be speaking to everyone all the time about Jesus. Some said they would drop everything and they'd spend all day, every day, volunteering and serving others. And then I asked if, they, if what if Jesus was coming back tomorrow? What if they knew in the morning Jesus was coming back? Who would they spend tonight on the phone with? Who would they spend tonight calling, pleading with, praying over? Who would be the person that they drop to their knees in prayer for all night long, knowing that tomorrow Jesus comes back? They all had an answer. All of them had at least one person, and most of them couldn't label just one person that they would spend their night on their knees in prayer for. And I'm sure you can all think of one person as well. I'm sure that if you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow morning, all of you have at least one person on your hearts right now that that would be your phone call when we left this place. And you'd be on your knees praying all night. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's a brother or a sister. Maybe it's a son or a daughter or a mother or a father. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a neighbor or a coworker. But I bet we all have at least one person that we'd be on our knees in prayer for. One person that we'd be phoning or going to visit tonight to try to show them this grace and this hope that Jesus offers. See, that's readiness. That's what readiness is. True readiness means you expect Jesus is coming back any minute now. You expect he's coming back this afternoon or in the morning or the next day. And so you live every single day prepared for that. So preparing takes readiness. And so are we ready for Jesus? Are we really ready for his coming back? And the last part of preparation is that preparation takes waiting. Preparation is by its very nature done beforehand. You don't prepare for something after it's already happened. That would negate the very aspects of preparation. Janice and I got engaged last October and then married in February, and so we had four months to plan our wedding. And a lot of our friends said, oh, jeepers, four months, how are you going to plan an entire wedding in four months? And I think it was about two weeks to the day when I'd proposed, I think it was two weeks to the day, Janice had her dress, I had my suit, we had a venue, we had a church, we had our caterers booked, we knew the DJ, the photographers, we knew everything, including the pastor and how things were going to be done. And so then we had about three and a half months of waiting. We'd prepared, we were ready, and we had to wait. It's not always easy to wait, though. After those two or three weeks of preparing and getting everything booked, we thought, sat there and thought, well, this was silly. Now we have three months to wait to get married. Now we have three months of this eager anticipation of just waiting for this day to happen. Waiting for our wedding was very hard. Waiting takes patience. Waiting is not always easy. But the thing is, when you're preparing for something, you have two choices. Once you've prepared, once you're ready, once you've practiced, you then have two choices. And your choice is to wait 
and wait well or to give up waiting and move on to something else. Those are the only two choices you really have. You either wait and you wait well. You wait staying ready. You wait continuing to practice or you give up waiting and you move on to something else. But as Christians, we aren't called to give up waiting. We are called to wait and to wait well. We are called to keep doing the work that God has given us, to keep loving others, to keep serving others, to keep worshiping Him, to keep telling our friends and our family about His grace and His hope and His love. We're told to keep doing that as we wait patiently for His return. The waiting in our case looks like showing up and worshiping, looks like showing up and serving, looks like showing up and loving. Once we've prepared, all we have left to do is wait. That's part of preparing for Jesus. And so are we waiting well? Are you waiting well? Or have you given up waiting and moved on to other things? Advent is a season of preparing. Preparing for Jesus' birth and preparing for his coming back. Preparing takes practice. Preparing takes readiness. And preparing takes waiting. So this season of Advent We practice, we ready ourselves, and we wait. On the way out, I've asked that the ushers to stand by the door and to hand out uh, what I've made two cop or I've made a copy reading guide. So it's a little pamphlet, and it's just an Advent reading guide. Inside is a daily devotional for you to read by yourself or with your family. Inside in this daily devotional, it just includes one Old Testament prophecy and then a New Testament fulfillment of that prophecy. So there's an Old Testament and a New Testament verse to read every day starting December 1st. Inside this little Advent devotional is also some uh, history of Advent, some, some traditions of Advent, some things to discuss with your family, your kids, your neighbors, your relatives, some things that you wouldn't know perhaps. Inside, there's also an Advent prayer, a very meaningful Advent prayer. So if you'd like to practice to prepare, to ready yourself, and to wait well for Jesus coming back, to wait well during this Advent season, please feel free to pick up a copy on your way out, and I'll have some next week if we do run out. And so this season, this Advent season, let's not just focus on the lights, let's not just focus on the gifts, let's not just focus on the meals, not, not just, let's not just focus on the Christmas morning and the celebration of family, but let's focus on Jesus. Let's focus on preparing this Advent season. Let's focus on Jesus' love and his grace. Let's focus on the hope and the justice and the peace that he offers. This Advent season, let's let Jesus be our focus. Together as a church family and as a community family, we will practice, we will ready ourselves, and we will wait on Jesus. We'll do all that as we prepare for Jesus this season. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this season of Advent. We thank you for this season of eager anticipation, looking forward to your birth and your second coming. Lord, we thank you that thousands of years ago, you came and you were born and you lived and you died for us. And Lord, we thank you that you promised you're coming back. And Lord, this Advent season, we eagerly anticipate and wait for that day of celebration. We look forward to that day of celebration. Lord, this Advent season, amidst all the lights and the gifts and the food and the family, let us not forget you. Let us not forget who this season is really about. Jesus, that's you. 
So Lord, continue to remind us, press it upon our hearts, let us write it on our hands, our doors, our heads, let us write it on everywhere, Father, that this season is a season about preparing for you. We pray all this in your name, amen.